Hey, you're listening to the C3 Network Podcast with Dan Holland. Our mission is to create a network of micro churches that are finding, teaching, and equipping people to be on mission. Our hope is that this encourages you. Be sure to leave us a review so you can help us share our message with more people who need to hear it. And now, Dan Holland. Welcome back. Last week, we kicked off a brand new sermon series where we're exploring Ephesians. And Paul opens the letter with enthusiastic praise to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul listed our spiritual blessings for us. You remember that? It's actually a prayer. Paul teaches them, then prays for them. And starting in chapter four, he's going to appeal to them, but we're not there yet. But the primary purpose of the prayer is to magnify the name of God. But what this prayer does for me is very similar to what the guys from Wheels Through Time did for Pat and Chris Simmons. You guys familiar with that show? Wheels Through Time. Let me share with you their story. And not not too long ago, the Simmons had the good fortunes of acquiring a 1911 Wagner motorcycle at an auction. Originally, the Wagner sold for about $175, but today a Wagner can fetch about 65 plus thousand dollars if it's in decent shape. Well, the bike the Simmons acquired was in fantastic shape, like one in a million type shape. The bike still had the original seat, the bars, patent date, paint, plate, everything. You name it, it was there. There was only one problem. The bike didn't run. It just wouldn't wouldn't start. So Pat and Chris took their bike to the guys at Wheels Through Time to see if they could repair and restore the bike. Now, in the process of trying to get the 104-year-old bike back in running shape, Dell and Bob made an amazing discovery. It had belonged to the famous Clara Wagner. She was one of the first documented female motorcyclists. They discovered that the motor, motorbike isn't worth a lot. It's actually priceless because of who it once belonged to. You see, Paul, in his opening prayer of praise, which is the first 14 verses we looked at last week, does for us what Bob and Dell did for the Simmons. He reveals something that some have never seen, while others of us tend to overlook it. Like that Wagner bike, we are priceless. And not because of who we are, but because of the one we belong to. Not did belong to, past tense, but do, present tense. We belong to him Now, we belong to the creator of the universe. Get your mind around that. He chose us, adopted us, and purchased us with the blood of his son. How can we be sure that we belong to him? Well, Paul says you can be sure because his stamp of approval, his stamp is on you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. And you also were included in Christ, he said, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed You were marked or stamped with him with a seal. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And it's true. So that brings us to this week. Now, after pouring out praise to God, Paul then shifts his attention to praying specifically and very intentionally for those who would receive this letter. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he was raised, when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now here he's talking to God about the Christ followers in Ephesus and beyond. Really, what else did he have to do, right? At the time, you see, he was under house arrest in Rome with no access to the internet, cable TV, or streaming. Now, to be fair, though, prayer wasn't a got nothing else to do or squeeze it in type of activity for Paul. Too often it is for me, but not for Paul. There's plenty of evidence in Scripture that indicates Paul devoted himself to prayer even when there was more work to do than hours in the day which was most often the case for this tent-making, gospel-sharing, church-planning missionary. And not only was his commitment to prayer greater than mine, the content of his prayer was different from mine. There tends to be a lot of I and me in my prayers, but not for Paul. His prayers centered far more on others than himself. You know, every year around the world, Christians gather to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. People flood churches and listen to the story of how Jesus was raised from the dead. More than simply understanding the resurrection, here, Paul prayed that these people would truly get it, that they'd be amazed by it. He prayed that they would. I pray that we will too. What motivated Paul to spend so much time praying for others? I would suggest the answer is as simple as, as this. Paul got the church, and I'm talking about Big C Church. He understood God's bigger plan. He knew that the church was not a place. The church is a people, a people in Christ who through the power of Christ have been joined together as the one body of Christ. Listen again to the words in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. See, I truly believe this is what kept Paul on his knees praying for people, many of whom he had never even met, was that he understood this one truth, that our effectiveness and impact on the world hinges on the spiritual health of each individual member. This is the way it works with our physical bodies. Every part from our little toe all the way up to our brain needs to be healthy to be as effective as we can be. Well, the body of Christ, the church, is no different. Our effectiveness and impact on the world hinges on the spiritual health of each individual member. I hope we will pray, pray more, way more. But that's not my only hope. I hope our prayers for one another will be shaped by hearing how Paul prayed for others. Let me highlight a couple of things. The first thing to take note of is this right here. Paul prayed a word of thanks for them. 
He says in verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. See, before he ever mentioned a word about what he hoped God would do in these Christians, he gave thanks for what God was already doing through them. You know, one metaphor for the church is the body that's used here, but another frequently used metaphor for the church is family. Here's the thing about family, whether we're talking about our immediate family or spiritual family, too often people are taken for granted. Am I right? What happens to people whenever they're shown zero appreciation? Moms, how do you feel whenever you cook a dinner for eight months in a row without ever receiving a thank you? How does it feel to devote four months of your life to helping someone do anything? You name it, but never hear the words, thanks for making a difference. I don't care how spiritual you are and how much you love the people you serve. It can be incredibly discouraging to feel like nobody notices or cares about what you do. Please be sure to tell those around you, thank you. You may wonder, thank them for what? And that's the problem. Think of something. Develop a habit of saying thank you. Focus on appreciating others and pray for them every day. On a regular basis, I speak to people who lament the fact that they're having very little impact on the community in which God has placed them. What's the problem? In many cases, if not most cases, it's a problem of focus. They need to reset their expectations. You see, when you're not able to serve and do what you've always done, then maybe serve the people nearest you really well. That's exactly what Paul is doing. See, Paul is confined in prison, and yet he's writing. We might say that he's writing because he's confined. Probably true. Sometimes God has to confine us and then exert himself in us to get the results he desires. We need to live on mission one person at a time, one day at a time. What might happen if we imitated Paul? Good question. If we really started to tune in to the people around us who are doing sacrificial, faith-filled work, if we took the time to pray a word of thanks to God for their ministry, I'm not sure. How would they even know? They would know because like Paul, we would tell them. In all likelihood, this letter called Ephesians was read in multiple house churches throughout the region of Asia Minor. They were, they were all house churches. That's all that was there. Pretty cool to think about, right? One of the very first things Paul desired for the people in those churches to hear is that he is grateful for their faith in Jesus, which is so evident in the way they love people really, really well. And Paul didn't keep this gratitude to himself, and neither should we. Who have you noticed loves people well? Who serves people faithfully? Does anyone come to mind? How about sending that person a card this week, letting him or her know that you give thanks to God for their faith in Jesus and love for people? Perhaps we shouldn't wait to write a card. After all, odds are, if we walk out of here not having taken action, this might turn into one more item on a good intentions pile. Now, if you're anything like me, that pile's already deep enough, right? So instead, how about texting or calling them and send them a note of, of, of the fact that you're thankful for them? Can you imagine what that might do for them? It might just inspire them to keep going. This just happened to me recently as my wife organized family and friends to send birthday cards to me. I didn't 
realize it was happening, but send them snail mail. I received more than 30 cards and a virtual stack of emails filled with thanksgiving. It was super encouraging to me, and it'll do the same for others as well. The second thing to take note of is this. Paul prayed for the Holy Spirit to enlighten them. And I, I love this part of the scripture. He said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You know, one of Paul's great desires was for an internal light to go on inside each of the believers about the deeper truths of God, especially in regards to the benefits and blessings of the gospel. Did they have some understanding? Of course. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for five days or 50 years, just picked up a Bible for the very first time, or you have a PhD in theology. There's always more to discover about God and his work. Please don't overlook why Paul is praying for the Holy Spirit to enlighten them. He is not praying this so that they're going to have knowledge for knowledge's sake or so that they can show how smart they, they, they were. The ultimate aim of his prayer is for them to know God. Paul wants them and us to know Christ intellectually, but also to be empowered by it. See, the goal is to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. But first, you need to understand the calling. Shouldn't this be our greatest desire for one another? That all of us would enjoy the blessing of living in a vibrant relationship with God? But sadly, this is not the case for far too many. Maybe this describes your spouse or kids or maybe a friend. If so, you can imitate Paul in praying for the Holy Spirit to enlighten them. Pray for them. What was it that Paul desired for the Holy Spirit to reveal? Take notes of this. His desire was for believers to begin to grasp the hope that was now theirs. If there was anything in short supply in the ancient world, it was hope. Why? Because the majority of people had very little opportunity to improve their lot in life. But doesn't it sometimes feel that way now? It often can feel like not only am I losing control, but things are moving more and more out of control. And yet, from Paul's perspective, their lives should have been full of hope. Ours should as well. Why? In his prayer, Paul gives several reasons, and these are very important. First, you have hope because God called us. Verse 18, he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. God has called us. God chased us down. Here's the question. What has he called us to? He has called us to live in a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. He has called us to live as one with each other as the body of Christ. He has called us to live holy or set apart lives. He's called us to live with him forever. See, followers of Jesus should be the most hopeful people in the world. And yet, so often many are not. It's so easy to spot those without hope because what comes out of their mouth is always so negative and pessimistic. They'll say things like, the president is going to wreck us. It's only a matter of time before the economy goes south. I don't think my kids will ever change. My dog is being a jerk. You know what I'm talking about, right? What can we do for those who are hopeless? The temptation at times is to shame them. We want to say things to them like, how can you be so negative? Don't you have faith? 
How about we take a page out of Paul's playbook? Let's pray for them. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit will flip a switch in them so that they begin to see, but more importantly, live in the hope of Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing you wanted to understand. He wanted them to know that God treasures us. He said that you may know the hope he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. See, Paul is not pointing to the heavenly inheritance we will all one day receive. Rather, he's revealing that God regards us as his treasured inheritance. What could give us greater hope than to know that the God of the universe who has created all things and to whom all things belong looks forward to enjoying us forever? We are family. That is amazing. We are in Christ. We are literally citizens in two places at once. That's why Paul was saying about, that's what Paul was saying about those who are in Christ. Those people, these people here lived in Ephesus and in Christ. See, you live where you live and in Christ. Your passport is in heaven. Here's the third thing. God makes his power available to us. That's what he writes here. He just says in his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And here's what I believe. Whenever the light finally goes on in the life of a Christian, that the very power that raised Jesus from the dead is at their disposal, huge spiritual growth begins to occur. Instead of saying things like, I'll never change, they take dead aim at all that does need to change. You see, when the light finally goes on, you'll stop saying things like, well, what can we really do about poverty or injustice or addictions? And instead, you'll roll up their sleeves you'll roll up your sleeves and start serving with great anticipation of seeing results that only God can pull off. Yes, much of what occurs in the world can be very negative, if not downright frightful at times. But at the end of the day, we live with hope because Christ is sitting on the throne. Amen. He will have the final say on all matters. The word hope could be an acronym for hold on, pain ends. You may think you can't, but because God's power is at work in you, you absolutely can. Only in this passage and nowhere else in the scripture does it ever say that God exerted himself. I want you to think about that. He never flexed or bowed up. Create the universe from nothing? No problem. Heal the sick or walk on water? Got this. Give sight to the blind? Simple. Raise the dead? On it. But when it came to his son, Jesus, when the devil thought he had the final word, when he had been beaten, stabbed, and suffered sufficiently, when Jesus was laid to rest in a borrowed tomb, God flexed. God exerted himself. And when God flexes, you get mighty strength. There's doing a thing and then there's exerting yourself. The word means to make Something happened that doesn't want to happen. And as we close, I want to pray this prayer over you. The same prayer that Paul prayed over the church in Ephesus. If you would, bow. 
For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength which he exerted when he, was, when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And is it in the name of Jesus that we pray, giving thanks and praise to you, Father. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this podcast, we post a new episode each week. So be sure to subscribe and leave us a review so you can help share our message. We'll see you next time.